Daniel chapter 4 is where we are this morning. Daniel chapter 4. Let me begin. Psalm 115.1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. We are celebrating at fellowship on all three of our campus, the, uh, campuses the fact that uh, for the first time since 1999, we have no debt whatsoever. Yeah. Fellowship in those early years grew so fast that we were building as quickly as we could to accommodate those who were coming. And in, uh, we built our first building in 1991, and then uh, around 2000, uh, actually it was 1999, we built a worship center there and quickly realized we built room for all these adults and didn't have room for children. And uh, so we had to launch into a big campaign where we built uh, five different buildings and uh, that was called The Great Investment. Many of you invested in that through the years. If you still have recurring gifts going to The Great Investment, you need to go in and do something with that, okay? Or we'll be contacting you and letting you know. Uh, but then in 2011, we want, launched into Fellowship Fable and, and set a goal of paying it off in five years. And uh, we were able to do that. You, you all were incredible. And then we did the same thing with Bentonville. And now we have three campuses that serve as a platform for ministry for us to do whatever God wants us to do. And it was all possible because of your giving to God through fellowship. And I just want to stand on behalf of our elders this morning and say thank you for your generosity to that. Because it is an incredible feeling to know that there is no debt and we can move forward with this, and uh, I, I would encourage you too. Many of you were giving recurring gifts to Fellowship Bentonville. You need to go turn those off. Or I would encourage you too, if you can do it, uh, just transfer that over to our general fund because out of our general fund, that's where we're able to make a difference uh, in so many areas. Uh, disaster relief. Uh, we have four teams on the ground in Turkey right now. And they are assessing what is the best way that they can make a difference there. Every dollar you give through our disaster relief goes to those teams on the ground working with families and individuals to try to help them. Now, we don't have our disaster relief portal open right now because you've been so generous to it in the past. We have money to work with already. And I'm not going to ask you for more money if there's already money there uh, to spend on that. When we exhaust that, we will let you know if there are other needs, other things that we can do. But thank you for your generosity in that. But I wanted to let you know that we have teams on the ground, and I released some funds this week uh, to help those teams go out and make a difference. In Daniel chapter 4 and 5 is what I'm covering today, and nobody likes to do the sermon on humility. It invites too much scrutiny. For the next month, I can't have a prideful thought. It is something that is difficult for us to achieve, isn't it? But I do seek the mind of Christ. As Paul said, having this mind in you. That mind of Christ Jesus in us. That's what we all want. We don't want to be prideful, boastful people. Andrew Murray once wrote concerning humility. Listen to this. Humility is perfect quietness of heart. 
It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me or when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my father in secret and am at peace as in a deep sea of calmness. When all around and above is trouble, we need that kind of peace in this troubled world we live in. It's frustrating for us in that trying to achieve a state of humility. Once you think you've arrived, then you've no longer arrived because you're taking pride in your humility. That just wipes it all out, doesn't it? It's an elusive state of mind and being and a common struggle for all of us. But we're going to see today that the presence of pride and arrogance in our hearts can have disastrous consequences like this one. The captain of the ship looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately, he told his signalman to send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly, a return message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered. His command had been ignored, so he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a captain. The reply came. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a seaman third class. Immediately, the captain sent a third message, knowing the fear it would invoke. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. They received the reply, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. The Bible is our lighthouse. It is immovable, unchanging. It gives us the words of life. It is our rule book for life. It's therein that we should find the truths that we should follow. And in there we find that God humbles the proud. Listen to all these scriptures. Proverbs 3.34 He mocks proud markers but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. From Jesus, Matthew 23.12 For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. From Mary's song, following her visit to Elizabeth. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. James 4, 6, quoting Proverbs 3, 34. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. In 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6. In the same way, you who are younger, that's us, right? Submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. You see, humility is and will be the final achievement for all of us. Humility 
is the final achievement. We see it in Jesus who did not consider equality with God something to be cling to or grasp. But he made himself nothing. He became one of us and became obedient to death on a cross so that we might be saved. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, it says, Therefore, because of that, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, humility is the final and ultimate achievement. In our study today, Daniel gives us two examples of the danger of pride and arrogance in chapters 4 and 5. And we're going to cover both of them. We would do well to heed his warning. But why pay close attention to somebody like Daniel? After all, that was 2,700 years ago. What does he know about today? Why should we give credence to those words? Well, I'll give you one example from Matthew chapter 24 in verse 15 when Jesus was talking about the great apocalypse to come. He says, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel. If Jesus gives credence to Daniel, then I think I should too, right? So remember that as you study the prophetic visions in the weeks to come, that Jesus gave credence to the words of Daniel. Now we begin with an address, first of all, a, a confessional of, of Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of Babylon, the vast kingdom. He confesses that God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then in verse 4, he tells us a story. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Ah, here comes Daniel. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the Holy Spirit of the gods is in him. Now, don't confuse Belteshazzar with Belshazzar, which we'll see in the next chapter. We got two with similar names. And I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. And so let's look at the summary of the dream here. He dreamed of a large, strong tree that touched the sky that represented his vast kingdom. An angel from heaven declared the tree should be cut down. The tree was to be destroyed except for the stump, which would be bound with iron and bronze. The angel declared that the tree would be drenched with the dew of heaven and live in the wild for seven years. And all this happened so that the world would see that God is sovereign over all. And that was Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and it scared him to death. He didn't know what it meant. Verse 18, he, has said, he says, This is the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, had. 
Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And Daniel answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. And so in verses 20 through 23, Daniel tells him that you are that tree that was cut down. Verse 24, he says, this is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree the most high has issued against the Lord, my king. In other words, it's already been done. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times or seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its root means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. And now Daniel gives the king a word of advice. Therefore, your majesty be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Verse 28, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And 12 months later, you see, God's penalties for our sins don't always come immediately. God's penalties for our sins don't always show up. It's kind of like eating a donut. You know, if you ate a donut and immediately it just kind of popped up right there, you probably wouldn't eat them anymore, would you? But no, they take their time. And all of a sudden, you can't button your pants anymore. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, oh, look at this. Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Such a proud and boastful statement. And it was quite incredible. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The river Euphrates ran underneath his palace. It was quite impressive, but not to God. Listen to that claim again. Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Uh Uh-oh. C.S. Lewis once wrote, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It is thinking of yourself less. Nebuchadnezzar didn't get that. Reminds me of another story. In 1715, King Louis XIV of France, he was the sun king. He died after a reign of 72 years on the throne. 
He called himself the Great. He was the famous monarch who made the famous statement, L'état c'est moi. I am the state. His court was the most magnificent in all of Europe, and his funeral was equally spectacular. As his body lay in state in a golden coffin, orders were given that the cathedral should be very dimly lit, lit with a solitary candle above his uh, casket. It was all to magnify his greatness. And then Bishop Massillon got up to speak. And the first thing he did was lean over and snuff out the candle. And he said, only God is great. Only God is great. Regardless of how large our kingdom, our wealth, our influence, whatever it might be. Only God is great. And we should be ones who seek the mind of Christ. Verse 31, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. It's a done deal. Time's up. And immediately what it said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven to seven years of madness. Verse 34, That you heard just a moment ago. At the end of that time. I Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes toward heaven. And my sanity was restored. And then I praised the most high. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases. That reminds me of Psalm 115.3. It says our God is in heaven. And he does whatever he pleases. He's God. We're not. We would do well just to line up with him in everything that we do. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before, but with a different perspective, I'm sure. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I think it's interesting that those are the last words we hear from the mouth of Nebuchadnezzar. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He died in 562 B.C. And about 23 years later, Daniel introduces us to another arrogant, prideful king or co-regent king, Belshazzar. You see the chart here. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and then, uh, or Nabopolassar, his father, and Nebuchadnezzar, and then he had a daughter named Nitocris, and she married someone named Nabonidus, and their son was uh, Belshazzar. Belshazzar is who we'll talk about today. Now, you'll see in, in Daniel chapter 5, it refers to Nebuchadnezzar as his father, 
but they often referred to someone in their ancestry as their father. Uh, Nabonidus was his father. It, was, it would be like the Jews calling Abraham Father Abraham today. He's not literally their father, but they're in the ancestry of Abraham. So King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles, and they drank wine with him. It was more like a frat party, to tell you the truth. Okay? Not that I've ever been to one. I've just heard about them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Bad. So that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. And so they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. That would have been so shocking to the Jews. The temple vessels consecrated to God being used for a drunken party. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. They were just celebrating everybody but the real God. But then suddenly, sometimes go through the scripture and count the times you see suddenly, immediately, God responds. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. A hand, just a hand, appeared. And notice, notice the detail from Daniel. The hand appeared to write on the wall beside the lamp so that there would be good light so everyone could see it. The king watched the hand as it wrote. And his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Do you ever wonder where we get that phrase? Right here. His knees were knocking. And the king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. And then he said to the, these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck. I think I saw some of those guys back in the 70s with the gold chains and the purple outfits. And he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. And then the queen, who was likely the queen mother, because we're already told that the wives were at the party. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. And then she reminds him of all that Daniel had done for Nebuchadnezzar. And she said, call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. So the king brings Daniel into the royal court and offers him gifts and status if he can solve the riddle. And why couldn't the wise men read the writing on the wall? It was in Aramaic. It was in Aramaic. And so it would take someone like Daniel. And then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. 
You see, Daniel is about 75 years old now, and he's just a little grumpy. And if you know anybody over 70, they tend to get a little bit more grumpy. I see Gary Harrell over there, and he's getting a little bit more grumpy in his old age. No, not at all, he says. Sure. That's your humility speaking, Gary. You can keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to somebody else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. And then Daniel reminded him of the great greatness of King Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather, and how arrogance and pride were his downfall until he acknowledged the greatness of God. Verse 22, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself. Mark this. Mark this in your Bible. You have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. He had knowledge beforehand, though you knew it. You've acted like this. And mark this next line too. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. In our world today, there are many individuals, groups, and nations who have set themselves up against the Lord of heaven. And that's not very smart. We just don't do well when we set ourselves against God. He goes on and said, you had the goblets from the temple brought to you and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank from them. You praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Just think for a moment. If we find ourselves in that position where we're not honoring the God who holds our very lives and all of our ways in the palm of his hand, is that the way you really want to live your life? Is that what you want to carry into judgment of setting yourself against God? I don't think so. I don't think you want to live that way. And today is the day to turn it around. In these moments, to turn it around. And therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription to wake him up. This is the inscription that was written, verse 25. Many, many, tekel ufarsin. And here is what these words mean. Many. God has numbered your days and your reign and brought it to end. And he said it twice for emphasis sake. God has numbered your days and your reign is coming to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting like shekel. Shekel, they say in Israel. It's been weighed on the scales and you have been found wanting. And Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Numbered, weighed, and divided. 
Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. In that very night, October the 12th, 539 B.C., Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and the Persians conquered the Babylonian kingdom. And Darius the Mede took over at the age of 62. That very night, that very night, what had been written by the hand on the wall was accomplished. You see, humility is the final achievement. Both Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar knew what was true, and they ignored God. Here's a question for you. Do you firmly believe in what you know to be true? Do you firmly believe in what you know to be true? Do you act wisely because you know that truth or or have you just procrastinated? And say, someday I'm going to get things right. I can remember sharing Christ on the college campus and they used to say to me, you know, I'm going to get my life straightened out and, and then I'm going to give my life to Christ. Nope, doesn't work like that. Satan will keep your life so full of confusion that you'll never get there. You got to come to Jesus just as you are. You see, that was Belshazzar's problem. His entire kingdom crumbled. Everything around him crumbled because of his foolish decisions. Look at 524 again. But you, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. There were no excuses. And there are times when God gives us over to the consequences of our sin. The Bible is our rule book for life, as we stated in the beginning. If we ignore it, we do so to our own peril. It's not what we think. It's what God says. It's not how we feel about a particular subject or. or It's not how we feel or what we think. About our choices, it's what God says. It's not the latest popular trend in culture that should determine our belief. It's what God says. It's not the rhetoric of politicians left or right. They control that should control our opinions. It's what God says. It's not the ramblings of social influencers that should sway my thinking. It's what God says. It's not the agenda left or right presented in the news media, music industry, television industry, movie industry or social media nonsense that should control my values. It's what God says. We're pulled in every direction. No platform in this world should determine our morals, values, or ethics. God's word is my rule book. And if you look for direction in any other place, it's going to lead you down a path that will pull you away from God. It's what God says. Many in our world have divorced God and set themselves up against the Lord of heaven. And we have our examples in Daniel chapters 4 and 5 today that tell us what happens 
when we do that. We need to humble ourselves before God. Satan's power is diminished for those who humble themselves before God. A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, the enemy never quite knows how to deal with a humble man. He is so used to dealing with the proud, stubborn people that a, a meek man upsets his timetable. And furthermore, the man of true humility has God fighting on his side. And who can win against God? Strange as it may seem, we often win over our enemies only after we have first been soundly defeated by the Lord himself. God often conquers our enemies by conquering us, conquering our pride. When God foresees that we must meet a deadly opponent, he assures our victory by bringing us down in humbleness at his own feet. And after that, everything is easy. We have put ourselves in a position where God can fight for us. And in a situation like that, the outcome is decided from eternity. It's just a matter of humbling ourselves before the God of heaven. Following Jesus is the greatest and most fulfilling challenge you will find in this life. If you're looking for a challenge, then find it in Jesus. Humility is the final achievement. In the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. On the earth, under the earth, and acknowledge that He is Lord. That's the ultimate achievement. At the end of the age, when Jesus steps out among the golden lampstands, He will say, I'm taking the world back. And there will be no turning back for any of us at that point. And so, why not follow Him today? Would you bow with me for a moment? If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, if you've been chasing your own dreams and not, not the dream that God has for you, would you just invite him into your heart this morning? Just say, Lord, I, I humble myself before you and ask you to come into my heart right now. I believe you died on the cross and that you rose again for me. I know I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I ask you to forgive my sin and cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness, all my prideful, boastful ways. I now accept you as my Savior and I will follow you as my Lord all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me, for hearing me. To all of us, remember our days have been numbered. Let's do everything we can in and through the Lord's church, to be what he's called us to be. 